This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Thank you. And that is exactly what we're going to be considering tonight as we continue in our series on biblical discipleship, taking the Word of God and directly at applying it to issues that we as Christians face, uh, but that some Christians think, well, the Bible doesn't talk about that. It doesn't address that. And uh, we want to look at a topic tonight that God gives us all the help we need about. Take your Bibles. Would you turn to 2 Timothy? We're going to begin 2 Timothy chapter 1. The context here is, again, a pastoral epistle, Paul challenging his son in the faith, Timothy, who now is a pastor, an experienced pastor. But Paul continues to challenge him. What we learn about this man is it seemed that as far as his physical stature, he was probably weaker and uh, timid. Uh, and he walked with God. Paul was convinced of his faith, his love for the Lord. And by the way, he was mightily used of God. He was careful. But the Lord reminds him of some things that are, are of a great help to us. And if you look down at verse 7, he says this to Timothy. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And of a sound mind. Isn't it amazing how words in Scripture can be so pregnant with truth? When you look at those words and then the Lord brings your mind to other passages that talk about those things. And what an encouragement. What a help they are to us. But let's think about those three things that Paul reminds Timothy about. God has not given us the spirit of fear. Fear hath Torment, the Bible says. Our, our word uh, fear comes from the Greek word uh, where we get our word phobia. It talks about a fear that, that not only causes us to back up, but a, a fear that can even disable someone. Uh, where, where they experience something that is so fearful that it just it sends them in, into emotional shock and they just, they just can't move. All right? God hasn't given us that spirit, but a spirit of power. Now that word is the word uh, dunamis. We know that the one who indwells us, the spirit of Christ, said, all power is given unto me, go ye. All right? So we're indwelt by the omnipotent God who also says, if you'll wait on me, I'll renew your spirit. You'll mount up with wings as an eagle. Run, not grow weary. Walk, not faint. He's the one who reminds us to abide in the vine. I am the vine, ye are the branches. Without me, ye can do nothing. So abide. And then he's given us a message to declare to the world... And Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to anyone who will believe. So we're indwelt by power. The one who indwells us gives us all the grace, the enablement that we need, the spiritual fuel to keep going. And as we depend on him, his power to declare the gospel, that is powerful and can make complete change in the life of someone who will believe on Christ. He's given us a spirit of power. And then of love. The indwelling Christ, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Galatians 5.22. And again, 1 John 4.18. Perfect love casts out what? Fear. There is not enough room in your heart or mine to have love for Christ be consumed by His love and for fear to exist there. Loving Him, focused on Him, drives away fear. 
And by the way, the topic we'll be considering tonight, fear is always part of the basis for depression. Always. Not giving us the spirit of fear, but of power, love. And then, and I think this is cumulative because when these other things are in place, it leads to this last one, a sound mind. The wording there means a mind that is disciplined, consistent, and has self-control. That's what God has given us. Now, you don't have to answer audibly. I, I don't necessarily want you to. But with ev whatever you know about depression, can a person who has power, love, and a sound mind, can they also be depressed? I don't think so. I don't think so. In fact, I know that that is the case. But I also know that it, for you and me, living on this earth, turbulent times, that that soundness, that control, can easily be swept aside by somebody's opinion, by circumstances, uh, something that we begin to think about in our mind that convinces us of something fearful, it can happen that fast. Now, on top of that is another problem. The Lord warns us not to be influenced by the philosophies of our age. But we are influenced. There are a lot of titles that are being thrown around. Well, that person is diagnosed with manic depressive, you know, um, attention deficit disorder, and, and, and it just, it's one after another. Now, I know personally, Renee and I know personally, how that can even affect our children. I don't know if Wesley's listening tonight, but he'll have to forgive me later. If you know our son Wesley, he is a concert pianist. You can put any music in front of him, and he can play it. But when he started out playing, he would hear something, and he'd walk over to the piano, and he could play it beautifully. We knew that he had some talent. Got us excited. You need to have lessons. There was only one problem. Wesley didn't think he needed lessons. He didn't want to learn to read music. And so one day, Renee's in the kitchen, she hears the piano stop playing. Wesley walks in with his lesson book and he says, Mom, I think I have a learning disability. She said, if you don't get back to the piano, you're going to have some other disabilities. <laughs> he didn't have a learning, but he picked up on that. Well, maybe I can convince Mom, I just can't read music. Well... She convinced him otherwise, and, and we're thankful for the abilities that God has given her. But there's, there's just an example. Well, I don't think I can do this because I read somewhere, and you know, what you read on the Internet is, is usually always true. I read somewhere that, that people can have this problem, and oh, here, here are all the symptoms. That's me. Uh-oh. Okay. And so tonight, I want to take time to begin a study. Usually for these, I have a handout for you. I'm going to take it from the Lord that the church copier is not working again. And when, when it is, we're going to make, I'm going to just make you a full copy of my notes. But I want to ask you in the meantime to take some notes. Look at passages that we'll consider and just, just jot down some things to think about, to meditate on. I've asked the Lord to give real wisdom tonight because what I'm going to share is going to fly in the face of and it's going gonna, it's gonna to come up against what a lot of us, whether we've studied it okay, or just been affected by the thinking of our age, it's going to challenge your thinking. I'm, I'm sure of it.
I know that because when I first heard these things, it challenged my thinking. What I'm going to share with you tonight uh, is some of my research. It is also material that I gleaned in the first Nuthetic or biblical counseling class that I ever had in seminary. And I, I was so encouraged by that class because uh, one of the instructors was a godly pastor who for years, had, at that point, had already, uh, as part of their ministry, uh, they had a functioning biblical counseling ministry in their church where they would take an issue like depression, take the Word of God, what does the Bible say? And as they were applying truth to modern problems, God was transforming lives. Not just depression, but other things. And then one of the individuals on their team there at the Counseling Center in Lafayette, Indiana, was a doctor, Robert Smith. He taught half of the classes that, that in that block course that I took. Dr. Smith is a medical doctor, fine doctor. I, I'm sure by now he's retired. But he would take the biblical truth that was applied. He would also take what was being said in the medical community about these different things, like depression. And he began from a medical science standpoint to study what was being done with people, what was being said to people, what was the medical scientific basis for it. And the more he looked into it, the more alarmed he got. Now, here's a medical doctor. And so he shared a number of things with, that, again, ministerial uh, students, but most of us, uh, at this point, pastors, we are pastoring churches and taking these courses to be better for the Lord. But our eyes were open. So I went back to the church that I was pastoring in southern Wisconsin, and I began to apply this truth. I've shared some of this testimony with you. In the town that we were in, there's a University of Wisconsin Extension. It's a teaching college. There were 10,000 college students in our little town. And part of what they did was a lot of teaching in psychology. And around town, there were these group homes where people who were wards of the state, and these had, many of them were professionals who got depressed, uh, got on these psychotropic drugs, and, and as a result, they were wards of the state. They lived in these group homes and could barely function. Some of them, though, on weekends, they could get out, they, and they were starting to attend our church. Some of our ladies started to disciple some of those ladies, and those ladies started coming to Christ. But they had all kinds of issues based upon how the state was treating them and what they had been taught to think about their situation. We started to apply this biblical truth to their lives and and. It's amazing, God began to transform them. And I've shared with you one of those dear ladies who was depressed, stayed at home, was a hoarder, uh, was not taking care of herself. Uh, it, it was just an awful situation as she began to grow, be discipled. I will never forget the day she walked into my office with a Walmart bag full of prescriptions and said, I don't need these anymore. Now, my counsel and you're going to hear us say this later, was, well, 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 don't stop taking all that. Because you do understand, when you take these drugs, your system gets used to those drugs. If you just stop them, your system's going to really have a hard time. And so I said to her, we need to talk to your doctor, we, and, and you need to explain to your doctor why you don't need these. They need to prescribe how to slowly come off of these things, and, uh, and, and that happened as, as God worked in her life. Um, and so what I'm sharing with you tonight is just what God has taught me from his word and what a medical doctor and uh, Dr. William Good, who, who for many years pastored that church in Lafayette, was in charge of that biblical uh, counseling ministry, 
these are things that, that we learned and then we we're able to apply. And so let's, let's talk about this matter of depression. Most men or women will struggle with feelings of depression during their lifetime. In fact, John Hopkins uh, tells us that 9.5% of all Americans over 18 battle depression. This isn't good news, but you ladies are twice as likely to battle it as the men, according to the statistics. A person's response to their feelings, especially feelings of depression, which start with discouragement, will result in either a productive life or a withdrawal from everyday responsibility. I want to state emphatically that depression is real. It's real. Everyone is vulnerable. We'll see that a little later with some of the biblical examples. Pastor friend of mine, Chuck Phelps, I'll never forget, I heard him say, the best of men are just men at best. We're all vulnerable. Therefore, each of us must understand what it is in order to help ourselves and then to be able to help others. Do we believe in the sufficiency of Christ? Do we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, that God has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness? Do we understand that there was a time when people didn't have the Internet so that they could self-diagnose, why do I feel so bad? That there was a time when these feelings had to be addressed in other ways than someone telling me that I've got this condition. Now, a believer does not have to be a mental health professional to help someone with depression. You don't. However, you and I must be able to answer some basic questions. So if you want to write these down, again, I'm going to give them to you more detail later. But here's the first question. Why is depression called an illness? The diagnosis of depression is most often based on behavior and thinking, not changes in the body. Have you ever thought about that? Again, Robert Smith, who I mentioned earlier, lists exceptions where organic problems have caused behavioral problems, caused folks to struggle emotionally. These include thyroid, either a non-functioning thyroid or one that's overactive. Medications. Many medications on the market result in feelings of depression or suicide. Now, can I just pause here? How many of you, and I want to see your hand, how many of you have seen any drugs advertised on TV for depression? And one of the side effects, you may want to kill yourself after taking this. <laughs> and I think, well, 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 wait a minute. I thought it was supposed to help with this. You have these feelings, call your doctor. Okay. Medications can cause it. Did you know that there are 32 known diseases that cause severe emotional change? So it can be medical. Please understand that. There are various brain tumors, there are hormonal changes that, again, uh, can cause somebody's mind, emotions to change. So we're not denying that, okay? But let's go back to the question, why is depression called illness? Besides those things I just mentioned, here are some reasons to consider. First of all, people feel better when on medication. Some of today's drugs are useful in curing illnesses. But we know that other drugs are intended to cover the effects of an illness. You can take a painkiller, it can help you with the pain, but has it cured you? No, okay? Uh, it may help you feel better, but 
has it cured your negative feelings? No. Just because a drug may help someone feel better does not mean, first, that they are ill or that they're even getting better. We need to remember that cure means that medication is no longer needed. Someone coping means that symptoms, feelings, are controlled as long as the medication continues. We have some dear folks in our church who are coping with cancer, but they've been told you won't be cured from this, but as long as you continue to take this medication, it'll keep the cancer in check. All right, well, we understand that. By the way, that's valid. So people feel better when on a medication. In fact, the secret's out. We know that there are sugar pills that they just give people, and people feel better. Why? They convince themselves they're better. Not only that, but many people want some explanation for behavior that removes personal responsibility. This is where it starts getting personal. A depressed person must take the important step to identify the cause of depression according to the scriptures. This includes initial steps of getting medical testing. That's the low-hanging fruit. And, and when I counsel folks with this, I'll say, when's the last time you had a full medical checkup? Because there may be something happening in your system, and I, I talked about some of these earlier, that the doctor can do blood work, he can do tests, she can do testing, and, and find out that, in fact, your thyroid is giving you trouble. Uh, let's, let's eliminate those things first. When's the last time you had a, a medical test? As well as biblically assessing thinking and behavior. We've got to be re reminded that Scripture says, as a man, woman, anyone thinks in their heart, so is he or she. I am a product of my thoughts, so are you. So if a person is made to believe that depression is an illness like the flu or chicken pox, then they're not responsible for having it. So why should depression not be called an illness? Well, consider these points. First, there is often no proof that someone or I'm sorry, that anything is wrong with the body. We know that depression, other things can lead to physical problems like ulcers. Depression does not mean anything is wrong with the body. Again, medically, illness is defined as malfunction or damage to body tissue. Again, that's Dr. Smith's definition. Depression alone does not evidence illness. Later we'll see examples in the scripture where people were depressed, but it wasn't an illness problem. Okay? So there's often no proof that anything is wrong with the body. We have to be so careful to remember that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I can't do with this body what I want to, or I shouldn't. And I shouldn't let anybody else do to this body what they want to do. It is a standard practice that many people who go to have treatment for these things will sit across the desk from someone who will hear, oh, I, I, I struggle with sleep and I, I feel depressed, and they, they begin to describe these things, and the person on the other side of the desk is already writing a prescription. Now, stay with me. What if you walked into a surgeon and said, you know what, I, I keep having this nagging pain right here. And he says, I've got good news. My surgery schedule, I have an opening that just happened for tomorrow. You come in, we're going to cut you over, we're going to take a look. Uh, doc, 
How about some testing? How about some blood work? No, 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 no. This is the quick way to do it. You'd run for the door. I hope. And yet, there are people that hear symptoms and they start writing prescriptions to put things in your body and they don't really even know what is happening with your system. But this is the accepted thought. We'll say more about that later. Again, depression alone does not evidence illness. Secondly, chemical imbalance is often a theory, not a fact. Well, I think you have a chemical imbalance, try this. Well, wait a minute. There is testing that can be done to determine if you have a chemical imbalance, and chemical imbalances can cause real problems. Potassium. We go on and on. You, you all know that. But let me give you an example. Somebody says, but pastor, the doctor said I was low in, and then they, they fill it in. Okay, here's my question to them. First, did your doctor do a test? What's the basis for that? Yes, I had blood work, and here's what they found. Okay. Was there a test? Secondly, where is the proof this problem made you depressed. Where's the proof of that? I'll just share a little secret with you. Dr. Smith was just very blunt with these. He said, I've got a lot of doctor friends, and they're good doctors, but they've admitted to me that when it comes to these kinds of things, they write prescriptions to get those people out of their office so they can get back to something that they understand and know how to treat. They just don't know. You feel bad, all right, you want a prescription, here you go. We all know, and it's been in the news, that doctors are really rethinking this, and some of them have gotten into a lot of trouble for over-prescribing drugs that are having a horrible effect on people. All right, so those are important questions to ask. Here's another example. Someone says, well, the doctor told me my lithium levels are off. Now, I'm not a medical doctor, but there are certain things that are obvious. My lithium levels are off. Perhaps a doctor has told you that. Well, here's the theory. Incorrect lithium levels can cause depression. In fact, you can, see, you can read that online. But here's the fact. Do you know what the normal level of lithium is in the body? How much did God create in the body when he made us? 0.000. Do you know why they have to regulate lithium levels? Because in a wrong dose, it's fatal. But it seems to settle people down so they feel better. No, you're putting a foreign substance in your body. So chemical imbalance is often a theory. It's not a fact. Christian, you have a body that belongs to the Holy Spirit. You need to know. All right, so there's no proof that anything is wrong with the body many times. Next, chemical imbalance is often a theory, not a fact. Third, depression is not an emotional problem. What? No, it's not an emotional problem. In fact, depression is proof that the emotions are working just fine. I would take you back to what Dr. Jim Berg uh, in his material, Quieting a Noisy Soul. It's excellent. If you haven't gotten that, you need, you need to see those uh, videos, uh, see that material. But he emphasizes the fact that so many of the things that happen with us is just the alarm system going on. And this is one of it. When the alarm system goes off long enough, it's going to take us down. And when, when guilt happens, when we begin to struggle with our feelings, when, when that happens, we've got to take inventory to determine what is it to set off the alarm system. Uh, we would all have problems if the alarm went off at our house, the smoke detector, or here at the church, and the fire department ran in and ripped it all off the ceiling and said, problem solved. You don't hear the alarm anymore, right? Problem solved. We'd say, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
Where's the fire? The point is, and examples in Scripture prove, those who struggled with depression had something in their lives that needed to be addressed with God. Now let's look at two of those examples. I'm just going to mention them and we're going to continue to move on because we'll come back and look at some of this in detail uh, a little bit later. What about Job? Think about Job. Now we are going to look at his passage. Take your Bibles and let's turn to Job chapter 7. I'm so glad you're here tonight. I want to encourage you by reading a depression passage. All right. Job struggled emotionally and none of us would give him a hard time about that. But in Job 7, listen to what he says beginning in verse 3. And ask yourself honestly how much of this is clear thinking and makes sense. Job 7 verse 3. So am I made to possess months of vanity? Wearisome nights are appointed to me. That was all true. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise and the night be gone? And I am full of tossings to and fro from the dawning of the day. That's true too. He had very real physical problems. Verse 5, my flesh is clothed with worms and clods of dust. My skin is broken and become loathsome. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Okay, now we start to have a little trouble. Oh, remember that my life is wind. Mine eyes shall no more see good. Hmm. Job, why are you thinking that? My eye, the eye of him that hath seen me, shall see me no more. Thine eyes are upon me, and I am not. As the cloud is consumed and vanished away, so he that goeth down to the grave shall come up no more. He shall return no more to his house, neither shall his place know him any more. Therefore I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. And by the way, that was true because so much of what Job said, God comes to him later and begins to help Job focus back on God. Remember when we studied through Job, all those questions God asked him. Job, I feel sorry for you too. I know why you're depressed. That discussion didn't happen. What God says to him is, have you considered me? Have you considered me? And when Job began to consider the Lord, everything changed. What about Elijah, 1 Kings 19? Both battled depression. But the Lord identified the real problem as the way these men were thinking about God and about life. This does not diminish the fact that both men were in a weakened state physically. Again, not diminishing that. And that can happen. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters who have these extended illnesses because it does wear them down. But how do we pray for them? Lord, keep their minds stayed on thee because you promised perfect peace. Who then is qualified to disciple, counsel someone who's battling depression? Well, first, those willing to admit the realities that we've just talked about together. And again, it's been real quiet in here tonight because some of this you're like, whoa. Uh, that's, that's not what most people think. I know. Let me ask you, our medicated, diagnosed society, are we any better? Are we happier? And we're so contented, right? Okay. 
So those who admit the realities discussed above, and then next, those who believe that God's word has the true answers for depression. Now, we haven't gotten to all those answers yet. They're coming, but we have to believe God's word is sufficient. Well, Lord, I, I, I'm standing with you here at the judgment seat, and, and I know my life wasn't, wasn't too productive, but you know my diagnosis. And Jesus will, we're not going to say that, by the way. We're going to look into his eyes and know he is the all-sufficient one. Oh, how I wish I would given him more. More, so much more. All right. So here's the biblical help for depression. We're going to just get started with this, and then we'll have to close. Let's look at depression as it's defined biblically. And the Bible not only gives us actual verbiage, help, think this way, and so on, but the Lord also gives us great help by giving us amazing examples. So let's look first at the example of a godless man. Take your Bible now, go back to Genesis chapter 4. Here's the example of a godless man. You'll recognize his name as we begin to read. Verse 1 says, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Oh, what hope. She again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground, and in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Wrong thinking. I'm going to make life work the way I want it to, not as God expects. Just, just mark that down. That's, that's where he's at. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain, to his offering, he had no respect and Cain was very wroth, say the next four words with me, and his countenance fell. He's starting to have emotional trouble. Why? Well, you have to define that. Because God had spoken and Cain had said no. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have all turned everyone to his own way. Cain, right here, I'm going to have my way. And the Lord said unto him, Why art thou wroth? Why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? All right? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain made his decision talked with Abel his brother and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. The Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed. And he goes on to describe the curse. But here's what I want you to see. Verse 13, Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Now they're still having this conversation, but notice the desperate thoughts Cain begins to have. Are you watching this? Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall kill me. Question, how did Cain know any of that was going to be true? He didn't. Why is he jumping to these radical conclusions? Guilty conscience, he's gone against the Lord, and all he can see is the very worst that can happen to him. Are, are you with me? All right, so there's the example of a godless man. 
But here's what we need to consider. He chose to go against God's revealed will. The result was a downward spiral and more sinful, deadly decisions. Now you need to insert right here in your thinking Romans chapter 1. When they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. They became empty in their reasoning, vain imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened. And then at every point where they need to make a decision to come back to God, instead they make a decision to go farther away from him. And every time they embrace the darkness, God, Romans 1, gives them more darkness. What's the end of that? Depression. So there's the example of a godless man, but be careful, there's also the example of a godly man in Scripture, and that's Elijah, 1 Kings 19. Elijah took his eyes off the Lord, for sake of time, I'm just going to move through this. He took his eyes off the Lord, and at points of decision, lived by his emotions rather than what he knew to be true about God. Now it's easy for me to preach on this, but I'll confess to you, I've battled depression. Because though I've seen God work mightily in certain circumstances, I take my eyes off of what I know my God is able to do because of who He is, and I, I decide to look over here. What had just happened in Elijah's life when he gets that note from Jezebel saying, I'm going to kill you? What had just happened? Help me. Prophets of Baal slain, and what mountain were they on? Mount Carmel. God rained down fire from heaven. A, a national revival is beginning. How long halt ye between two opinions? If God be God, serve him? Or if Baal, serve him? God rains down fire. Do you think Elijah killed all those prophets by himself? No. The people decided. All right, God is God. Where are them prophets? And they deal with the prophets. So God is at work. God sends rain. And then Elijah gets a note. Now, is, is Elijah worn out? Yeah, he sure is. But instead of turning back to his God... He handles it the way his thinking says, and he runs. He runs clear out of Israel. He runs all the way through Judah, and he's down in the wilderness south of Judah. Nobody's going to find him down there. But none of that is what Elijah needed. Now, as we think about Elijah, here are the classic signs of depression, all that were present in Elijah's life. Here they are. Confused thinking. Lord, just kill me. I'm no better than my fathers. Well, you know what? Being better than your fathers, that, that doesn't have anything to do with this, Elijah. Suicidal thoughts, feelings of loneliness. I, only I am left. I've only been the one to serve you, Lord. Everybody else has bowed the knee to Baal. Question, was that true? Here's the other question. Could Elijah have known if it was true or not? No. Only God is all-knowing. Physical exhaustion? Yeah. A passive outlook on responsibility? And how about this one? Changes in attitude and appetite. So based on the above examples, depression could be defined as, and once again, uh, I, I'm quoting here uh, from uh, Dr. Smith, but it could be defined as a debilitating mood, feeling, or air of hopelessness that becomes a person's, are you ready? Escape. Escape mechanism for not responding correctly to important issues of life. Instead of turning to God, Elijah escapes. He thinks. So this is a strong feeling orientation which leads to irresponsibility. 
Here's where, again, we have to define what righteousness is. Do you know what righteousness is? Righteousness is fulfilling our obligations to God. Do you know what depression can do? Cause you to be unrighteous. Your responsibilities, fulfilling those to God, that doesn't become important anymore because my feelings are hurt, I feel really lousy, I'm tired, I, 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 I. Okay. Now when we look back at church history, here's a reality that we all need to be aware of. What did they do when there weren't pharmacies? And people who could look at you and diagnose that you have this condition. If this sounds insensitive, remember that depression is a modern term. Do you know what the early church fathers called it? And we see examples of this in church history. You know what they called it? They called it sloth. <gasps> How unfeeling. Yeah. Okay, you know Christ, you are in Christ, you have his all-sufficient word, and you've decided you've got too many problems to serve the Lord. And, and early church fathers just looked and said, hey, here's what God has said. We're going to face hard times. There's going to be suffering. All that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You need to stop being lazy and get back serving the Lord. Now, boy, in our modern thinking, that is so insensitive. Now, I, I'm not suggesting when someone is struggling with depression, you need to tell them to suck it up. Not saying that. But direct them to the Word of God, what they should be thinking about God, what God expects. And later on, we're going to see that one of the greatest helps for somebody who is feeling this way is, you know what? Get busy for God and go serve somebody. Because right now the focus is too much here. You say, well, again, Pastor, that sounds too simple. Oh, no, no, no. When we have a chance to look in detail at how God helped Elijah out of his depression, you're going to see that is exactly what God did in his life, along with other helpful things. Now, as we close, we also need to understand the difference between discouragement and depression. And, 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 and then we're done tonight. What is the difference? How can you tell? And somebody says, well, I think they're depressed. Well, okay. And, and, and by the way, they may be depressed, but, but how do you tell? Well, here's, here's how you tell. Depression results in immobility. Discouragement usually does not. Now we all know somebody that's, that's depressed, in depression, they have trouble getting out of bed, they stop functioning, that's the key. But all of us can face discouragement, and yet if somebody is continuing to be mobile, fulfill their responsibilities, continue to serve the Lord, well, that's discouragement. Now, certainly we want to come alongside them, pray for them, pray with them, help them to keep their eyes on the Lord and follow in his steps. But you know you have a very serious problem when they stop functioning. That's the key. I would close tonight by saying if you know someone in that kind of a situation, and again, we are so used to using these terms, sometimes... We're very careless with the, these terms. Well, pastor, I'm depressed. Okay, well, let, let's talk about what it, what's happening in your life, and, and, and we can begin to discuss that. But no, I, I'm staying faithful, I, I'm, you know, but I'm depressed. No, no, you're discouraged. So let, let's talk about the discouragement. And we can even go to the Scripture and see examples in the Bible of those who were discouraged. And I'll close with this final thought. Do you think David was ever discouraged? How do you know? Oh, you make me so happy. The Psalms. 
One of the things I love about the Bible reading schedule that we have this year, every day there's a psalm. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. Get on your knees, open your Bible to that psalm, and pray that psalm back to God. And as you pray those psalms back to God, you know what you're going to discover? You're going to talk to God about every possible human emotion that can lift you up or drag you down. David. Moses. You think Moses was ever discouraged? Oh, yeah. Millions of complainers. But in all those situations, they pour out their, their condition to God. Lord, here's what's happening. Lord, you see this. This, this is how people are treating me. Even my, those that I thought were my, my friends now are my enemies. And, and every one of those psalms ends how? Turning to the Lord and giving Him praise. On purpose. And the Holy Spirit is allowing us to see what's happening in a person's heart, what they're dealing with, and how they get back to having hope and an ability to move forward for God. He's our God. And we can trust Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the truth that we've been able to look at tonight. Lord, I admit that when I heard some of these things for the first time, I was, I was stunned. Because we want to believe that there are those in this world who want to help others, and, and they use these terms, and they think this way, and, and, uh, and we want to believe that people are being helped. But Lord, there is no help apart from what you say is true. And we have to settle our minds on that. And so Lord. You keep us in perfect peace. If our minds are stayed. Planted. Focused on you. And Lord when we are yielded to you. We get to enjoy. The reality. Not of the spirit of fear. But of power, love and a consistent, controlled mind. So help us to walk with you. And Lord, we can even have that settled mind and peace in our hearts, even in a body that is dealing with significant physical illness. Because you said your grace is sufficient. And so Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to walk with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.